Good morning. morning. Greetings to you in the name of Jesus. Well, if there's some things you would know ahead of time, you might make different plans, but they are what they are, and we're here this morning. I'm glad to be here. I'm so glad to have some more of my family here this morning, my mom's brother, cousin, her family, daddy, Naoma. So, um, guess you can figure out, find out who they are afterwards when you ask them. And uh, you know, I was riding down the road the other day, and uh, Pablo's message. Well, I'd heard about it before it came in, I guess, and nothing. And it came in, and uh, my face leaked for a while, and. Uh, and God gave me a song. As great as thy faithfulness. And, uh, you know, it just, uh, it just went through me. It was like, you know, it was like I could sing it to God. I could sing it with a, with a, with a clear heart. Um, and uh, it was just a blessing to me because, you know, life brings us all kinds of twists. And they're not all fun. But God is always faithful. And uh, I'm grateful for that. Well, I believe God is grateful this, uh, is faithful this morning too. I was sort of amused at his um, his uh, not sure what you call it sense of humor. I guess the uh, the last two words that I heard in our Sunday school class are sort of the title for my sermon this morning. Hold fast. I wrote down, don't let it slip. That's what the Bible says, sort of the same thing. Um, Hebrews chapter 2, if you'd like to turn there. In fact, um, I sort of was thinking after everybody was sitting in on our Sunday school class the last 10 minutes, maybe we should just go home. Um... Therefore, we must pay the closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. The King James Version says, lest we should let it slip. The question I'd like to ask this morning is, what is the it in this passage? Questions I'd like you to ponder, which I don't suppose I'll be answering. What difference does it make in how we view the passage? which I may answer. Um, what difference does it make in our Christian life and what difference does it make in the church? One of the questions for you to ponder. The first question to answer that question is the, is the question, who is the messenger? So if you flip back a couple, um, flip back one chapter and we'll start reading in chapter one, verse one, first four verses, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake and passed unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, 
being made so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So the first, first question is, who is the messenger? It tells us that he has spoken unto us by his son. That is, Jesus is the messenger. Um, chapter 2 Verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord? So the, the, the messenger brings authority to the message. God is the ultimate spokesman, or the Son, Jesus, is the ultimate spokesman, the messenger of God. Tells us in verse one, he is uh, he is greater than the prophets. Remember the pa the um, parable Jesus told about the the man who had a vineyard, and and he sent his uh, his servants to get something from the the vineyard, and they they killed him and kicked him out and and beat him and everything else. And uh, finally, said, "I'm going to send my son. Maybe they'll respect my son." But instead, they turned on him. And the same concept here is uh, Jesus is, is greater, more authority than all the other messengers of God. The it, the message that he brought is compared to the law. Um, so the law was given by angels, but this message that Jesus brought was, was brought by the Son of God. Verse 4, he is um, his, the messenger, or Jesus, is greater than the angels. Also, you see that in verse 13 and 14. The message is authentic. He really did bring that message. He, he says that um, it was confirmed by those who heard him. There were eyewitnesses. And, and this message was witnessed by signs, by wonders, by miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit. So not only was the, the, the fact that the message was brought authentic, it was also the message itself was authenticated by, by these things. This messenger is a creator and holds all creation together, verse 9. We're not going to read all these for time. His reign is eternal. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, that was verse 3. His reign is eternal, verse 8. He's altogether righteous, verse 9. He will never grow old, feeble, or incompetent like his creation, verse 10 to 12. And he will ultimately be the victor in every challenge, verses 13 to 14. And so the, the, the message that is brought is, is, uh, has authority. It is reliable because of who it comes from. This is the messenger. That is why we must pay attention to the message. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. So, what are we to give attention to? What have we heard? What is the message that it's talking about? Let's go ahead and read the first several verses of chapter 2. 
Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing their witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. I think in my introduction there I got confused on which chapter some of those things were in, but um, information is the same, I guess. (laughs) Excuse me. So we are to hold on to what? I think the answer is we are to hold on to our salvation. No, we're not to hold on to our salvation. We can't hold on to our salvation. We're too weak for that. What are we to hold on to? We are to hold on to faith in our salvation. Is that not true? See, um, that that is we must keep believing. Raymond told us this morning that uh, if we go back to John 3.16, whoso believeth, E-T-H, it means a continual believing. And I think that's reflected in the original. Believing is not a one-time action. It's a, it's a, continuous, it's a continuous thing that happens. Faith is something that needs to continue to happen. If I believe I'm on the right road and I'm going down the right road and I stop believing that I'm on the right road and I turn on another road, I'm going to be lost. But back to the thing of holding on to our salvation, I think that's that's one reason why so many people can be um, frustrated in their Christian life is because they're trying to hold on to their salvation. You can't hold on to your salvation. Somebody already is holding on to your salvation. It's not you. But you need to put your faith in that person who holds on to your salvation. You need to put your faith in the things that he has done. The things that he is continuing to do. You need to cooperate with your salvation. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Verse 3. What else are we to put our faith into? What else does it tell us about the work of Jesus, what he did? Chapter 1, verse 3, we read that he has by himself purged our sins. He has by himself purged our sins. Why do we need our sins purged? Because we have sinned, don't we? Romans 3 verse 19 says, We know whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Someone said that that is the most scary verse in the whole Bible. When you consider the fact that someday you're going to stand before Almighty God and everything's going to be laid open. You can't hide a thing. And you're going to stand there before him and he's going to be the judge. 
God has made it perfectly clear throughout Scripture, starting at, at the fall, all up through the law and the prophets, that the ability of man to save himself by doing what is right is not there. It's impossible. No, not only do we struggle with, with sin, with committing sins, but we have the problem of sin. That thing that came to us through Adam and, and uh, is, is, is a part of all of our lives. We sin because we're sinners. We're not just sinners because we sin. Oh yes, we're guilty because we sin. But we sin because we're sinners. We got a problem much deeper. And the, and the wages of sin is death, the Bible tells us. But it also gives us the good news. It says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you know this, uh, back to the sin though, the, um, this separation from God, this death, this, this wages of sin being death is not just a physical death. But as one person said, it's a forceful separating our sinful selves from a righteous and holy God. And therein lies a big problem. How can unrighteous man be in the presence of a holy God? Can't do it. Can't do it. I'm not sure we'd even want to be there in that condition. I don't think we would. I think it would be too frightful. And so when, when Jesus tastes death for every man, when he purged our sins, we have it described here, God hinted at salvation in the garden. He enlarged the understanding in the Old Testament. <coughs> and I quote, when it was all over, the guilt Adam had afflicted on the entire human race would be defeated. The death God pronounced over the whole human race would die and hell would be brought to its knees. From the little book, What is the Gospel by Greg Gilbert. What are we to hold on to? We are, hold, are to hold on to the faith, the belief, the confidence that what Jesus said he did he did. And that what Jesus did for us is, is effective in our own lives, in our own hearts. What did Jesus do? Verse two, not, uh, chapter 2, verse 9. He tasted death for every man. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings for both he who sanctifies and they who are sanctified are all of one for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. He tasted death for every man for, and Romans 5 verse 18 says therefore as though one 
As through one man's offense, judgment came to all, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. That is what he brings to us. Also in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate. That is, we have a lawyer with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. What does the word propitiation mean? Um, doing a little um, electronic juggling there, as I understand the, the word from the German means reconciliation. If you go back to the Greek, it, it seems like it gives more the, the uh, idea that it is the atonement that reconciles. That is Jesus, Jesus' atonement, his, his blood being shed, paying the penalty for our sin, is what then brings us into reconciliation and right standing with God. And so when we stand before this holy God and we're there all alone, we're not alone because we have Jesus with us. We have him standing there before God and saying, God, this one is mine. I bought him. You don't have to stand there alone. But our salvation is not only future, it is present. Chapter 2, verse 14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself also likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime Subject to bondage. The work of the devil is, is what makes it impossible for you to do the work of God yourself. It's the thing that destroyed your, your, old, your, your godly nature and made it a human evil nature. It's, it's what drives the, the human to do all the things that they shouldn't be doing. And God and Jesus and his sacrifice destroyed the work of the devil so that he can give you power to live your life in a way that pleases him. That's not only for now, but that's for eternity. So what do we hold on to? We are to hold on to faith in our salvation. I believe we are also to hold on to faith in our in our sanctifier. What was that? What is it? What was the? Um, we read that in our lesson this morning. I'm trying to think where our lesson was. Second Thessalonians two. What What does it say there about the sanctification? Can somebody find that and read it to me? In the meantime, we're going to read you something else. Chapter 2, verse 11. 
For he who hath that for for both he that sanctified and those who are sanctified are all of one. So who is the one that sanctifies? It's Jesus. Who is the one being sanctified? It's you and me. And what is sanctified? Well, I'd like to go to. Um, I'd like to um, go to Second Timothy two verse fifteen. It says, "Do your best to present yourself." And the word "present yourself" gives the idea to stand at attention, ready to do. Just present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. In verse 21, if, if anyone pures himself for what is ignoble, then he will be a vessel for noble use, consecrated and useful to the master, ready for any good work. And that to me is, the, is what happens when something is sanctified. He is purified, he is set there, he's ready for the work that God calls him to do. Okay, did somebody find that verse? Okay, so through sanctification, what was it that, that we're called to through, through sanctification of the Spirit? To, sal to salvation? Is that the word for you before that? Okay, so he's called us to salvation, and the means is the sanctification of the Spirit. The Spirit cleans us up, prepares us for the good work that God has called us to, and belief of the truth. Right there we have faith. Because, because, and, and, and so, let's twist it around a little bit more. So what is, what is the sanctification when, when God comes, when the Spirit sanctifies us, what is that done through? It's done through grace, right? That thing that we don't deserve, that he brings to us and does, does in us through the Holy Spirit. And where does grace always come through? It always comes through faith, doesn't it? You always find that together. Now, lest we go back to 2 Timothy 2 and say, well, if anyone pures himself, purifies himself from what is ignoble. So that means that I do it. I'd just like to remind you that Philippians 2 verse 13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So yes, you make choices. Guess who it is that gives you the desire? Guess who it is that gives you the seed of faith that you are responsible to exercise? Again, it's the work of God. We are to hold fast to faith in our salvation. We are to hold fast to our faith in our sanctifier, the one who has prepared us for every good work. We are to hold fast to our confidence, the confidence in our salvation and sanctification. Verse three, chapter three, verse six. But God, but I'm sorry, but Christ was faithful over God's house as a son, and we are His house if we hold fast our confidence and pride in our hope. 
Now, I don't know what version that is, but let's go to this one and see what this one says. For God, Christ is the Son of his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm unto the end. Okay, so it's the rejoicing of the hope, the pride of the hope. Not sure what all's in those, in those words in the original. Hold fast to our confidence. Hold fast to God's promise. Hebrews 4 verse 1. Let us therefore fear or be on our guard. Lest the promise being left us of entering to his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. That is, that is God made a promise. God said this is how it will be. You put your faith in me and I will take care of it. I will see you through. I will be your master. I will be your your. Uh, I will be your savior. <coughs> Excuse me. Hold fast to God's promise. Hold fast to our profession or our confession. That verse seems, uh, that word seems to be translated in several different ways. <coughs> Hebrews 10:23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Without wavering, for he is faith. He who promised is faithful. What is uh, what is the confession of the profession of our hope? What have we confessed or professed? Well, go to. Um, Go to Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. And thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. What did you profess? What did you confess? The Lord Jesus. 1 Timothy 6, fight the good fight of faith. So take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I also find it fascinating that have grace is translated hold fast. And um, so when, he, when uh, and it's not the same word, it's, it's a different word, but it just, it just was sort of made me curious, wonder what all is behind these different concepts and how they're the same or different. Um, I picked that up from Hebrews chapter 12. It says, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace. That's how it's translated. Whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And the, um, the extra little help there said, uh, translated it, let us hold fast. And in, in very much um, holding fast is, is grace, isn't it? How do we hold fast? Our fingers would slip, wouldn't we? We do it through grace. Perhaps one rendering could be, let us walk in grace. How does grace come? Well, I already talked about that. Grace comes through faith. So what are we to hold on to? We're to hold on to faith. Because we see when we hold on to faith, then we have grace. And when we have grace, 
we have God doing those things in our heart that we can't do by ourselves. And when grace works in our hearts, then, then God changes us. And when God changes us from the inside out, guess what happens? We do the work of God. And that's why he says, what is the work of God? I heard that this morning. What is the work of God? To believe on him who sent me. See, it all goes in a circle. See, the opposite of faith is unbelief. And it's translated, it's translated disobedience in some places and unbelief in others, and the two are sort of the same thing. Because when we disobey God, it's because we don't believe God. If we believe God, we do what he said. I mean, if, if, if you had a little, little child, and, and I think I asked this question the other Sunday, if, if you are... If a little child was offered a snake, I mean, if they saw a snake and they wanted this snake and they didn't understand what a snake was, you know, they might, might really want this snake. But when you know what a snake is, you don't want it, do you? At least I don't want it. Uh, maybe a few people do. Um, There's uh, Hebrews 4. I think I will take the, the moment to turn to verse, uh, to chapter 4, verse 6 and 11 and see what it says about seeing therefore it remains that some must enter in. They to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. There it's using the example of Israel going into the promised land. It says they did not go in. It wasn't because God wasn't strong enough. It's because they didn't believe God. Because they didn't believe God, they didn't obey God. Verse 11. Um, I think there was another one I wanted, but I don't see it right off. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. And I, I think, though, that some translations um, translate that as disobedience. So what are the what are the uh, what is the evidence of losing faith? So if if faith is what brings our grace, if faith is what we're to hold on to, what are some evidences? Because we can all say, well, yeah, I believe, no problem. But how do we know if we believe or not? Well, here is um, here are some evidences that gives us, and um, and I'm not sure if I'm going to read all of these. Um, and so I think maybe what I'll do is just reference them and give you the reference and you can glance over it as we go. Chapter 3, verse 7. Um, it's unbelief when we, when we do not listen to the voice of the Spirit when He speaks to us. 3, verse 9. Um, testing and tempting God. Again, referring to Israel in, in the in the wilderness there when when God gave them instruction and they and they uh, they did something different. They didn't do what God said. A heart that's astray. Wherefore I was grieved with this generation said they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways. Chapter three verse thirteen. A sin hardened heart. 
where where sin where it's just not a problem to sin, I think. Rebellion. Taking my own way instead of God's way. <clears throat> Verse 17 to 19. Sin, disobedience. I think we'll read that one. But with, was who, with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not? So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. So unbelief always results in disobedience and sin. And when you see, when you see disobedience and sin, you see unbelief. So what is the result of faith? Well, we talked about it. We have salvation. Salvation of the spirit, our soul, and our body. So he, he changes our spirit immediately when we're born again. And he changes our soul. It's continuing to be changed into the image of Jesus from glory to glory. And when the Lord Jesus comes back, he's going to change our vile body to be made like unto his glorious body. Just as faith is ongoing, so is our salvation. There is sanctification, a preparation for God's use. That is what happens as a result of our faith. There is, obe uh, there is obedience. If disobedience is a result of unbelief, then obedience is a result of faith, isn't it? There is rest from our labor. And I'd like to talk about that a few minutes. Chapter... Four, verse 9 says there is therefore a rest to the people of God for he who has entered his rest has also himself ceased from his works as God did from his see when we rest when we have faith in the work of Christ we don't have to scramble around chasing things, trying to please God. God calls us to, to put faith in what he did, to love him. Is it, hard, is it hard to do nice things for your wife or your girlfriend? No. Not when you love her. But if you get in a scrap, then it's sort of hard, right? And see, when we love God with our whole heart, it's not hard to do what's it's not hard to do what God wants us to do. But it goes at um, verse three. Chapter four, verse three. So he's talking about the rest and and, and um, that is I'm gonna start at verse four, verse three. Chapter 4, verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. So God has promised a rest. See, he, he warned us in our, our, our text verses, chapter 2, verse 1. We should give the more earnest heed, lest at any time we should let them slip. This is warning us about failing to enter the rest. And because Israel had the gospel preached to them. They said, hey, you follow me. You can go into the, 
into um, the promised land. But instead, they, they uh, did their own thing, and it didn't work well for them because they didn't have faith. And then verse 3 says, For we which have believed do enter into rest. We, have, we who have believed do enter into rest. We're not talking about heaven. I mean, yes, we are, but no, we aren't. We're talking about rest right now. We who have believed do enter into rest. God calls us to a rest. A, a, this, when, the spiritual, when your spiritual life is not restful, there's something wrong. That should be the most restful life that you can possibly have. When it's a struggle to follow God, then there's something wrong with the spiritual life. And, and it's going to be a struggle unless you understand that the works were finished from the foundation of the world. What works? Well, I think there's two places it talks about the foundation of the world, if I'm not mistaken. The other one is in Revelations 13.8. It says, And all that dwell on the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb, slave from the foundation of the world. Now, we're talking about a different subject there, but he tells us what happened from the foundation of the world. Jesus was slain from the foundation. The work was finished from the foundation of the world. And that is what we are to put our faith into. Because when we do, we can live in rest. And when we live in rest, then the work of God, we can, and we submit to God, then his work will come out in our life. It's not meant to be difficult. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I'm, I'm meek, meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is it not? It is not your standards or your culture. It's about following Jesus. It's about letting him be your vision, your pride, and your song. I believe that, I, I, I'm just going to verge from this, I, I believe that once you see God as he is, and you see yourself as God sees you, you realize that you're such a scumbag that nothing good can come from you anyway. Now, I know that sounds harsh, and it sounds wrong, because God didn't make us junk. And that's right, but the devil ruined what God did and, um, you know, I think what we're saying is that of ourselves, we need something more. We don't have what it takes to please God. We need something outside of ourselves, and that something is Jesus. And that is what we are to put our focus on. And if we don't see ourselves as that kind of a no good, nothing 
I wonder if we've really met God. Now, I'm not saying you're not a Christian. But I'm saying that you haven't met God on the road like Paul did. Because when you see God on the road like Paul did, it, it changes the way you see yourself. And I believe that when we see ourselves as God sees us, and when we see salvation as God sees it, I don't think that we'll find that sacrifice for Jesus will be a problem. And so my encouragement to you is this morning, don't let go of your faith. Your faith is the main thing. But your faith is, is, needs to be, it's not just something that you have, it's something that's based, on, it's, it's tied into something. You have to have faith. It does, it's no good to jump off the roof with an umbrella and have faith that you're not going to crash when you hit the ground. That doesn't work. You have to have faith in something that works. And that something is Jesus. Don't let go of your faith in Jesus. Jesus did the work. And as we trust and as we put our faith in him, then he will work his life out in your life. And you will find that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And people will be able to see you and know that they've seen a little Jesus. God bless you. Lord.